we're going to get into our message this morning. And um, we again thank you for joining us and being a part of what we do. And uh, today's text is going to be Psalm 1. Psalm 1 is our text. Ten kind of called this message firmly planted. Let's open up in prayer uh, this morning. Father God, we thank you for just allowing us to come together in this way. Lord, we may not understand why circumstances happen the way they do. We may not understand why situations take place as they do. But God, we give you glory today. Because God, we know that you are a great God. You are our God. You are our provider and our King. Lord, I pray that as we continue our study in the Psalms, as we continue our study in your word, that God, you would continue to lead us as you would have us to go through the life that we live, through the situations and circumstances we face in these times. And Lord, I just give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. I pray that the meditations are the words of our mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing this morning, Lord, our rock, our redeemer, and our friend. Lord, we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. And it is um, Psalm chapter 1. We are continuing the study in the book of Psalms. Again, I call this firmly planted. Psalm chapter 1, firmly planted. I just want to um, look at it this way. We have been studying um, the book of Psalms now for 20 weeks, or right at it. And we've looked, and we did look at three of those psalms at Easter. We looked at twenty-one or twenty-two, twenty-three, and twenty-four at Easter. So we've looked at a few of the psalms, uh, and and really broken this down. And I guess it's time for me to uh, answer, ask, and answer this question again. Today's text is Psalm one, which is where we are starting. But why should we study the Psalms? Why should we study the Psalms? Why should we be involved in the Psalms? And the reason that I think we should study the Psalms comes from uh, the New Testament. Uh, We just had finished the study in Revelation uh, shortly before we started the Psalms. In Revelation chapter 2, we get a message from Jesus to the church at Ephesus. And I want to read that for you this morning uh, in just a moment. But Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5 is that text. And if you want to turn to it, write it down uh, or anything like that, we would welcome you to do so. Revelation 2, 2 through 5 says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. That is the word of God words of Jesus to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. So I want to think about this for a moment because Jesus begins with a very complimentary remark 
Uh, he says, I know your deeds. I know your toil. I know your perseverance. I know the things that you have done to accomplish uh, the kingdom's will, to do what is right for the kingdom. He says, I know all about the terrific programs that are going on at Ephesus, which is the first church in Ephesus. Uh, he knows about their commitment to their uh, teaching, to their, I mean, I guess if we're looking at Ephesus as a church today, uh, their Sunday school program, maybe. He knows about their commitment to care for the poor, for the less fortunate. He knows about their plans for evangelism and their plans for church growth. And he knows all about their uh, dinners that maybe they have. He commends them for putting to the test those who call themselves apostles and who are not. And this is to say that Jesus commends them for being a discerning church. He uh he, he practically says to him, look, you hold sound doctrine. You've been teaching the word the way that it should. You're holding Bible studies. And he's saying to the church at Ephesus, you study the scripture and you know who is counterfeit. You know when someone is an imposter. You know it when you see it. And honestly, if, if we were shopping for a church, and maybe you are, I don't know. But if we were shopping for a church, many of us would choose a church much like Ephesus out of the book of Revelation. It's because it was an action-packed church. The people were busy uh, like spiritual bumblebees almost doing the work of ministry. But after commending them for the good works that they were doing, Jesus points out a fundamental failure. At the church of Ephesus. He points out something that he doesn't like. And he says to them that, you know, after his compliments, he says, I have a bone to pick with you. I, I, I got to get to the bottom of this. I've got to tell you, I have this against you. You have forgotten your first love. You've left your first love. You've completely abandoned your first love. Now, the church at Ephesus, essentially, based on what Jesus is saying here, had forgotten why they existed. They had forgotten that church was first and foremost about loving Christ. The ultimate goal of church life is not evangelism. The goal of church life is not balancing the budget. It's not running a successful program. The goal is not learning how to get along, although those things come when we're in the place we should be. The goal is first and foremost about loving Jesus. And our deeds, our toils, our perseverance, our good doctrine, our commitment to evangelism, all of those things flow naturally out of that love for Jesus. It's not hard to find a busy church, let's be honest. It's not hard to find a church that is doing great things. You know, we're doing all right at New. But the question I have for us today is how are we doing with our love for Jesus? How are we doing? Would Jesus be justified if he said to us what he said to the church at Ephesus? And I think that's something that we all as, as uh, members of the church need to think about today. 
What Jesus say to us, you're doing a great work, but you've forgotten why you're here. You've forgotten your first love. All of our good works are but filthy rags if we're not loving Christ. Isaiah chapter 64. Remember, we're starting our study in the book of Isaiah, and there's a reason that we're doing it this way um, as we started that on Wednesday night. But Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, all of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. A polluted garment being filthy rags. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. The reason I want us to study the Psalms, and the reason that we've been studying the Psalms, uh, and we may continue studying the Psalms through Christmas or beyond, it's because we need the Psalms. It, we read about individuals who loved the Lord more than anything on this earth. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel that I'm guilty of that same sin as the church at Ephesus. I recognize there are times in my life when I leave that first love, that love of Christ, and I leave it behind. I recognize this, and sometimes no book of the Bible comforts me more than the Psalms. And if you want to see what your first love should look like, turn to the psalm. Now, that's the reason why we've been in the psalms. And this is the reason why I want to go back to Psalm 1 as we look at it this evening or this morning. Because here's the ultimate reality of where we are. Before we examine this psalm, I want us to consider what a first love would be. Jesus talks about first love, and he's not talking about sequence. He's, he's not saying it's the thing you fell in love with first. Jesus, I mean, if we talk about the spiritual life, he is. What brings us to him is that falling in love with him in that moment when he calls us to him. But our first love is not about, about sequence. It's about priority. Who should be first in our lives? When we think about this, when we recognize this, no book of the Bible comforts us more than the Psalms. You know, we commonly hear individuals say that so-and-so was their first love, and they usually are referring that to sequence. Maybe that high school fling or that middle school love or that elementary school, even kindergarten love. When Jesus says he is our first love, he is saying to us that we are to love him above and beyond all other things. We are to love Christ first before anything else. That is where our love should lie. So for the sake of comparison, I want us, if you're, if you're married, think with me for a moment. If you're married, if you're not, I'm not skipping over you, but think about the nature of love that you had toward your spouse, maybe on your honeymoon. You know, take as long as you need, pause it and, and think about that for a moment. I think we need that comparison in order to recognize that our first love is, it. it's hot, it's passionate. Our first love is ignited. It's on fire. I'm not sure how or why, but in many churches, it has almost become taboo to be passionate about Christ. In fact, in our society, it has become taboo to be passionate about Christ. Those who are exuberant and passionate about their faith are called fanatics. They're called fanatical. They're called crazy. 
You know, I've heard passion. I've heard uh, pastors refer to the word fanatical by saying a fanatic is someone who loves Jesus more than I do. Now, truthfully, and I'm going to say this very carefully, but we need fanatical people in our church. We need them. Because we need people who regard Jesus as their first love, people who are on fire for Christ, people who put him first in all things. Think back to the honeymoon, those of you who've been on one. Did you, how did you act towards your spouse on that trip? I mean, would it be safe to say that you did everything in your power to please them, to make them happy, to enjoy the time, to make sure that that love was passionate between the two of you? Now, don't get, don't get me wrong here when, when I'm saying these things. I don't want you to take this the wrong way. But what I'm saying is, is it safe to say that our first, love, our first love aims to please? When we recognize something as our first love, we aim to please. We aim to make sure that it is something that we are pouring into. Psalm 1 becomes an important text for us. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates both day and night. Verses 1 and 2 of this chapter bring us to that mindset. Psalm 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff. The wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Now, I want to say this. I, I struggled in that first verse the first time I read this text. Um, when I read verse 1, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners nor sit in the seat of scoffers. And you read that and you say to yourself, great, that's me. I do not do those things. Those are things that I'm not doing, so I must be blessed. Well, the truth is we're all blessed, but bear with me for a moment because verse two will rip you apart. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. And all of a sudden, then you realize that doesn't exactly describe who I am. Think about that for a moment. See, the problem that we see in this text, rather the problem we see in us concerning this text is that most of it fits us somewhere in between. Most of the time we fit between those two verses. Very few of us, honestly, I believe, I trust this with my whole heart right now. Very few of us walk in the counsel of the wicked. I would believe that. But on the other hand, how many of us meditate on God's word day and night, all day, every day, day and night, that we focus solely on God's word? I can tell you, for me, that's a difficult place to be sometimes. 
where we land on this issue is critical. It's it's the difference between being blessed and not being blessed. And the psalmist elaborates on the implications of this as he goes into verses 3 through 6. Starting verse 3, he who delights in the law of the Lord, as we talked about earlier, he is like a tree. He will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in the season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So my question to you is this, which one are you? Which one are you today? Are we like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, or are we like the chaff which the wind drives away? Again, I would suspect that most of us are in between. Most of us are between those. We're we're not exactly firmly planted, but we're not exactly the chaff that gets blown away either. We're not willing to regard ourselves as wicked, are we? A lot of times we don't want to admit that we might be wicked, but we also know that we have way uh, a long way to go before we actually come to delighting in God's word. So here's the sobering part for us. If God's word is our is not our delight, if we are not delighting in the word of God, if we do not meditate on God's law, if we have something then in common with the wicked, yeah, I said it, you heard it. We do. If we're not meditating on it, if we're not delighting in it, then we have something in common with the wicked. If we have that, then our first love is not the Lord. And we have something in regards to this, where we have in common with what he's calling chaff here. He's calling us waste. He's saying, you've got this in common with them. Now, I thought maybe we could get around it. If we regard ourselves as a tree planted maybe a fair distance from the stream, but not right on it. But we can't. We, we cannot get around this. Um, if our delight is not in God's word, if Christ is not our first love, we more closely resemble the chaff which the wind drives away than a firmly planted tree. Folks, having Christ as your first love it leads to that delight in his word. It, it's, it's hypocritical for us to say that we love Jesus more than anything if we scarcely read his word, if we're not meditating on his word. Meditating on God's word is the primary way that we express our love for God. And if we're not diving in, if we're not doing it, um, as we said, let me, let me look at the Hebrew word meditate here. The word for meditate in Hebrew, literally means to mother to mutter repeatedly. To mutter repeatedly. Now, honestly, that sounds a lot like prayer. To mutter repeatedly, it sounds like prayer. Muttering repeatedly back to God what he has revealed to us in his word. That is prayer. Repeating the scripture back to God. Meditating on it. Praying it, 
what does a first love look like? Our first love delights in the word of God. If God is our first love, if he, if his word, if Christ is the first love, he is the word. Remember John chapter one, verse one, the word was with God. The word was God. The word became flesh, John 1, 14. First love delights in the word of God. First love prays to God repeatedly that which he has revealed to us. We continually go back to God with his words and we pray and we meditate on those. Why should Christ be our first love? Why must we love Christ more than our family, more than our reputation, more than our career? Because Christ commands it. It's commanded in his word. Christ commands that we love him first. And what we do, or, and what do we know about the commands of Christ? What do we know about those? We know that they are good and subsequently they are good for us. The psalmist says this when he writes, blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord. Honestly, I read it in two different versions and the reason I did is to go back to this where it says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked. Blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord. That word. Happy just doesn't cut it. Happy doesn't cut it because happy are those that delight in the Lord. Wow. Okay. Blessed. Blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord. The translation of happy just does not cut it. The Hebrew word is describing a fullness of joy, a fullness of joy. There's a fullness of joy available for those who delight in God's word. There is a fullness of joy available to those that regard Christ as their first love. See, the imagery the author of Psalms gives us here, the imagery that is employed is tremendously helpful. We like stability, and so to hear that we can be like a tree firmly planted is good news to us. A tree firmly planted is fantastic to us because we wouldn't be easily knocked over. It's a comfort to us, especially times of storms with the winds and the rains and the trees come down, but a tree firmly planted cannot, will not fall. You see... The psalmist also reminds us that the firmly planted tree always yields fruit in season. It always yields fruit in season. Fruit, of course, is a metaphor for the obedience in the scripture. We see that all over the New Testament. Those who delight in the word of the Lord will inevitably find themselves obeying it, doing what is right. People who love Christ first will obey Christ because it is planted in them. It is firmly planted in them. They are a firmly planted tree that always yields its fruit in season. So if we are embracing him as our first love, if we are fully in, enveloped by him in this, and we are a tree firmly planted, our fruit will be in season and ripe and beautiful. The psalmist then goes on to remind us that the leaves on a firmly planted tree do not wither. The water coming in does not or gets where it's going. It does not wither. We're talking about durability. We are talking about the fact that we are durable. If a tree firmly planted, if we are like a firmly planted tree, we have assurances of our durability. When faced with trial 
and with temptation. Those who delight in the law of the Lord can have full confidence that they will endure. Not only does the tree firmly planted yield its fruit in season, not only does the firmly planted tree endure the harsh elements, but we are told in verse 3 that those who are like a tree firmly planted will prosper in all that they do. They will prosper in all that they do. Here we are told that Christians do more than just survive. A Christian is not meant to survive. A Christian is meant to thrive. A Christian is meant to thrive in the environment that they are in because they are fully, fully enveloped by God himself. They are planted by that stream of living water and they are fully enveloped in him. Now, I want to I want to make it clear. You know, uh, Charles Spurgeon said the godly man, however, does not consider first how the world regards a thing, but how God looks at it. When we're firmly planted in him, we look at the world through godly eyes. And in the times that we are in right now, there is no bigger need than that in us as God's children today than to view the world through our spiritual eyes, through godly vision. We must see the world the way that it needs to be seen. We must see what he's saying his word. The Christian life is not a trouble-free life. It is a life characterized by stability, however. Think about that. The Christian life is not sorrow-free, but it is characterized by joy. We can go through dark days. We can go through struggles and dark nights, but the joy comes in the morning. We have peace that passes understanding. We have hope in God today. If this is something you desire for yourself, if you desire a life characterized by stability and by joy, then your delight must be in Christ Jesus and him and his word alone. Amen. Amen. There's nothing else I can say. So be it. If you desire to have that going on in your life today, if you want to be characterized by joy and by stability in your life, even in these dark times, even in these struggles, we are not promised good days, but we're promised to get through them because God is with us. He didn't promise the trouble-free life, but he promised it would be stable because he is in control. You see, the, the reality is, and I wish I could remember who, who this quote was from, but I love the quote. But if we could understand God, he wouldn't be God. But his stability, his provision is great in us, for us, because the life may not be trouble free, but we know who holds the troubles in his hand. He doesn't allow us to be broken by them, but he brings us through. The life is not sorrow free, but he characterizes us with joy, stability and joy. Do you need them today? If you do, then come to him. Come to know him. Allow him to work in your heart and in your life today. Come to know him today. It's the only way. It's the only way that we can get through. If you want stability and joy, then your delight must be in Jesus and his word. Amen. So be it. That's it. So if you need to know him today, 
don't hesitate to let us know what you need. Comment. Send a private message. Whatever you need to do. If we can pray for you, we will. If we can be there for you, we will. But we're here. And we want you to trust in him, not us. We love you. We want to see you come to the fold today. Contact us by private message on Facebook. Comment on the video, whatever. But if you want stability and joy to characterize your life, the place you start is by delighting in Christ and his word. It's the only way. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father God, we just come before you and we thank you. God, that you have shown us in your word that we have hope in it. God, we thank you that you have given us a peace in this time. God, as we go through the struggles of daily life, as we go through the hardships and the the struggles that we face each day, I pray that, Lord, you would bless us in a mighty way that, Lord, we haven't yet seen. God, help us to find stability and joy in the life you've provided. God, if we need to know you today, if we need to, if we need to come to know you in a mighty way, then Lord, I pray that you would touch our hearts. That God, you would work through the words that you've shared this morning. And that through those, we would come to know you on an intimate level. God, your glory would be revealed within us and to us. And that God, we would give you the glory for the great things that you have done. Lead, guide, and direct us, Lord. Show us your glory and continue to show us peace in the times that we face. Lord, we just pray these things now in the holy, precious, wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in that name that we pray 100% today. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Again, we want to thank you for tuning in for our services here on our um, podcast page. Thank you for listening and hope you had a blessed time with us. You can get more information on Newland Christian Church at newlandchristianchurch.com or go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash newlandchristianchurch. Until next week, we hope you have a blessed week in the Lord.